about that in a minute when we look at it, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, great passage. So if you've got your Bibles, you can head towards that area. We'll be looking at that in just a moment. Uh, just another quick announcement for you is that uh, Jack and Gwen Cow, those who know Jack and Gwen, they do Outback Scripture and uh, they do uh, so many schools they do and they travel out in their van and today they're flying out to their fly out one. So if you want to know where they're at and what they're doing, there's an itinerary just on the notice board at the back there. I'll be praying for them as they head out and take the good news of Jesus to some of the smallest little communities in western New South Wales. Uh, they need to fly in and they basically fly in and fly out twice a day. So they fly in the morning, go and do scripture, fly out and go to the next one, go in and then they move to the next place. They do that for two weeks. So amazing. Jack is 83-ish and Gwen's in her late 60s. So they're an amazing couple. Uh, no such thing as retirement for Jack and Gwen. It's uh, pretty amazing. So please pray for them. It's an amazing ministry that they have. And uh, they're doing some great stuff for Jesus out there. Uh, as I said, we're up to 2 Peter chapter 3. We've been working through 2 Peter this part of the term. We've got another talk to happen with that next week before we move on to our next series. Uh, but to kick off with this morning, we're going to play a song. And it's quite an appropriate song that we'll be playing this morning because uh, where I've heard, well, I've heard it before, but um, one of the most famous places that was heard was in Good Morning Vietnam. Uh, and so... We're going to watch that if we can get on to the talk, Dave. Go to the talk. It'll be in, in, within the talk, yeah. Go down the next one. And then click on Wonderful World. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world I see skies of blue And clouds of white The bright blessed day The dark sacred night And I think to myself What a wonderful world Colors of the rainbow, so pretty in the sky, are also on the faces of people going by. I see friends shaking hands, saying, How do you do? They're really saying, I love you. I hear babies cry. Much more than I ever knew, and I think to myself, What a wonderful world! Yes, I think to myself, What a wonderful.
Well, I hope that shocked you. Because that's the world we live in, isn't it? And that song and the clip is just a juxtaposition, isn't it? The song talks about the beauty of this world, and there is a beauty to this world, but there is an ugliness to this world as well, isn't there? There are moments when we think, this is just wonderful. And then we see babies like we did then, or those in Rowan's clips as well. What a wonderful world. Question mark. Is it really? Is it a wonderful world? Is there a hope? Uh, I don't know about you, we, we, we feel that angst, don't we? I mean, we sit here in Evan's head in a gorgeous part of the world and sometimes we're not completely aware of what's going on. We see pictures but it doesn't hit us. Uh, but we're hit by it too, aren't we? There are people in our community, there is a young guy in our community at the moment, he's in his early 30s, young family, and he's only got a couple of weeks left to live because he has cancer. We feel that angst, we feel that pain, and we cry out, don't we? It, will there be an end to this? Will there be something that can change this? Is there something that can give us hope within this beautiful but yet ugly world? Well, what we've been looking at throughout uh, 1 Peter is we've been thinking about that. And the question that we've got to say, is this as good as it gets? Is this what we have here now as good as it gets? And Peter's been talking about that uh, because the people that Peter have been writing to, they've been wondering about the world as well and they've been wondering about what's going on and there's been a group of people that have been coming in to try and erode their confidence in what's going on. They have been people who have been followers of Jesus. Uh, they've given their life to Jesus. They want to believe and trust in him. They want to live for him. And then there's a group of people who want to come in and undergird and try and rip out the rug from them and take their confidence away. And so Peter's been writing to them to try and give them confidence, to try and instill confidence in them. And if you remember back to 2 Peter chapter 1, he's trying to show them that there is a real saviour. There is a real saviour in Jesus and he gives us real life. Uh, he then shows us that there is real truth that we find in God's word. We can hold on to that and we can trust in that. And that uh, within that there's a real danger that people are going to try and erode that confidence, but we can have a real trust because God has revealed himself to us through his word, through Jesus. And we can hold on to that. Uh, but there are people still trying to under, undergird that confidence, trying to rip that out from them. And some of them wanting to say, well, you know, uh, it's not good enough. Jesus has made promises. He's made all these promises. and He's made a promise that he's going to come back and restore the world. But when's that going to happen? It hasn't happened yet. This world is broken and Jesus says he's going to restore it, but he hasn't done it. Can we trust that? Well, they're the things we're going to be looking at this morning in 2 Peter chapter 3, where Peter's going to encourage and give them confidence about Jesus' return that Jesus is going to bring ultimate justice and Jesus is going to bring a renewed and transformed world. And within that we're going to see that that juxtaposition of a beautiful world but yet an ugly world has an answer in Jesus. So let's open up your Bibles and have a look at 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, Betty's going to come and read that for us. Uh, it'll be on the screen as well. Well, you just like to close your eyes and listen to Betty. It's a lovely way to go. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders 
to stimulate you to wholesome thinking, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through his apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since their fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the time, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Well, the first thing that uh, Peter wants us to know is he wants us to know that it is certain that Jesus will return. Uh, Because people are saying to them, no, 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 that's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. He hasn't turned up yet, he's not going to turn up in the future, it's just not going to happen. It's a bit like when you're travelling in the car, isn't it, with the kids. And the kids are saying, are we there yet? You know, they think a trip from here to Ballina takes forever. You know, they get to Broadway and say, are we there yet? No. You get to the Bridge of Wardell, are we there yet? No. And it goes on and on. Imagine if you travel to Sydney. It goes on and on and on. They feel like it's never going to get there, is it? It's never going to happen. It's just taking way too long. And that's what the people were thinking about in Peter's time too. They were thinking, now, it's been probably 30 or 40 years now since Jesus said he was going to come back. He hasn't come back yet. It's not going to happen. So you see there in uh, verses 3 above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They'll say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. You know, it's been going on and on. It, it, it's, it's not going to happen. Forget about it. Jesus is not going to return. It's not going to happen, guys. You see, because they've got some arguments where they believe that, uh, one, the world goes on and on like itself, and second, it's being too slow. Because they have this argument that the world is a closed system, that God cannot step into it. It's a closed system. It's here, it goes through, and it continues on, and there's nothing supernatural that can happen to it. Uh, If you ever watch The Mentalist, which I love, and Sherlock Holmes, which is that's a... Robert Downey Jr. version of it, um, they both, if you listen to them, talk about not having any spiritual outside forces. It's all contained. The world is contained like this. Nothing can step in from the outside. And the world we live in is like that, isn't it, too? There is no supernatural. It's only contained here and nothing else can happen outside that. There can't be a spiritual force that comes in and changes things. 
And so that's what these guys are saying, is that it just keeps going on and on. Where's this coming from us? Ever since Ancestors has died, it's just been going on and on and on and on. It's just going to go on and on and on and on. And Jesus is not going to return. And so Peter gives a couple of answers and he goes through and he systematically tries to show that these people are wrong. That we don't live in a closed system. That there is a God and he has stepped in and he will step in. So if you look at the passage, what he says, he says firstly that, uh, first of all, they've forgotten a couple of things and the first thing they've forgotten is that God, sorry, but they deliberately forget that long ago by God's words the heavens came into being. So they might say the world is as it is and it's a continuous thing and it keeps going on and on, but where, how did it begin? Peter's saying that they've forgotten that God is the one that started it. He began it from outside of everything. He began and he created and he made it. Now I'm not going to go into all the arguments for that. Uh, we've done that before in church. If you want to have a look up a couple of good people, you can uh, find out plenty of information about how that works. Uh, but God has stepped in. You don't get nothing from nothing. God created and he stepped in and he made it. You see, God does step into the world, he says. They've forgotten that. Not only have they forgotten that he steps into the world, but he also has forgotten that he can wipe out the world with his word as well. And so in verse 6 he says, By these waters, or by this word is probably a better word there, but also the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. He's talking about the flood. He's talking about in Noah's time where God stepped in by his word and said, This is it. I'm going to wipe that out. And he destroyed the world. They've forgotten that. God can step in. God does step in. And God will step in. He's saying to them, Have confidence in that. It will happen. And then finally he says, By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the godly. It will happen. Jesus will return. His promises will come true. He will step in and it will be finished. It will happen. And not that Peter uses this one, but I think he he could have said just Jesus himself as well. That's what he's been talking about, hasn't he? All before is that Jesus is the one. He's the one that we need to know about. And Jesus steps into the world. God in flesh comes and dwells amongst us in Jesus. God actually steps into our created order, becomes like us, lives amongst us and goes to the cross for us and rises again so that we can have eternal life with him and he's going to return as well. So what Peter's trying to say, he's trying to say, he's trying to give them confidence. These guys are saying, no, 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 he's not going to happen. This world just continues as it goes on. It's been too long. God doesn't step into the world. Peter says, yes, he does step into the world. He did at creation. He did at the flood. He's going to when Jesus returns. And we can see from where we stand that Jesus did too. So this world is not a closed system. God does step in. God does impact this world. And not only that, is he's not as slow as they think he is. You know, saying, oh, that's going to go on and on, it doesn't happen. Well, Peter says to them, no, no, no. Uh, Don't forget this, guys. Dear friends. It's a nice word, isn't it? Dear friends. It's a loving sense. He says, dear friends, know this. Remember this. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. God's not slow. Time doesn't have the same sense for him. A day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. God, in one sense, steps outside of time from that perspective. He can be outside that. It doesn't 
that doesn't matter for him in that sense. There's, there's bigger things on his agenda than that. Uh, it may be that since he's saying that God's outside of time, or he may be saying that God has been across all time, so time seems like a lot shorter for him. It's, he's been around for the whole time, or it could be a lot longer for him because he's been outside of time, he's been here forever. You know the system with us, you know, when we think that uh, uh, when you're young, okay, you think time takes forever to get there. Okay, like getting from Ballina, from Evanshead to Ballina takes forever. For you and I, it's more like this, isn't it? Some of you, it feels like even more than that. I remember someone who said to me that when you're young, it feels like it takes forever to get from one place to the other, but when you're older, it feels like light posts are going past you at 100 k's an hour. See, for God, the time aspect's not the important part. Okay? He's in a sense outside time. He's been around since forever, so it can fly past. A day can be like a thousand years. A thousand years can be like a day. That's not the issue for him. He's not slow as we understand it because he is not slow as we understand it because he is merciful and gracious. You see, God's agenda is not so much the time that we understand it, but God's agenda is that people come to know him and love him. You see, God has got perfect timing. He knows exactly when it is the right time to step in. And from this passage we see the right time for him to step in is not until the people that he wants to know him and love him come to know him and love him. He says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, God's time frame isn't days and years. God's time frame is people coming to know him. Do you see the difference? God's time frame isn't particularly days and years. He knows that. But God's time frame is when people come to know him. He's on about his kingdom and growing his kingdom. And he's patient. He wants people to come to know him. It's when people come to know him and when the last person comes to know him that's supposed to know him, is going to know him, then that's when it's going to be the end. Uh, there's a guy, some of you would know John Chapman or have heard of John Chapman. He was an Anglican uh, minister in Sydney, a great evangelist. And he tells a story about a friend of his who uh, was about the same age as him and grew up with him. And this guy was a follower of Jesus, but he worked in the middle of Sydney. Uh, and every lunch hour, every day that he worked in Sydney, he would come to Hyde Park. And he'd go to Hyde Park and he'd go down and he'd sit and he'd, anywhere he was and sit with people and he would talk to people about Jesus. Uh, that was what he did every lunchtime for the whole time that he worked in the city. And John Chapman said to him once, he says, so, so why do you do that every day? He says, well, you just never know when the next person I speak to comes to know Jesus and then Jesus returns. It's exciting, he says. That's why I do it. He says he wants more and more people to come to know Jesus and this could be the time. You see, God is patient for us. He is not wanting anyone to perish. He wants people to come to know him and love him. And that's his time frame. And his time frame, we won't know. We can't know. Because what it says in verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. The Lord will come like a thief. Where does that come from? That's what Jesus said in Matthew 24, isn't it? Jesus said it'll be like a thief in the night. You don't know when a thief's going to turn up. We don't know. We can't pick it. 
It's not a matter about trying to check out the code and work it out. Look at this statement that someone had. These were on billboards all throughout America uh, a little while ago, obviously. Judgment Day, May the 21st, 2011. Now, they must have felt pretty stupid now, mustn't they? I don't want to be mean. Uh, but you see, the Bible isn't a code to be cracked to work out when Jesus is going to return. It's not written that way. It's not intended that way. You see, Jesus is going to return. He's going to come, it's certain, but it's going to come when, Jesus, when they know when all those who love and trust Jesus are his, when his kingdom's grown, when the kingdom is his kingdom. That's what Paul says in Romans. He says, when the last one comes to know him, that's when it'll be. Not trying to work out all these codes to work out the exact day, because whatever code you work out, that's not when the thief's coming. You don't stand at the door and the thief say, hey, mate, welcome in. You're not there, are you? You're going to get it wrong. He's going to work out that you're going to be standing there and come another day. You see, we can't work it out. You can't nail it down, but it will happen. Jesus will return. Don't forget, God will step in. He stepped in and created the world. He stepped in in the flood. He stepped in and he will return. He stepped in in Jesus. He isn't slow like we think. His days are like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. He is patient. He is merciful. He is gracious. He wants people to come to know him and love him and trust him. But he will return, guys. Are you ready? Are you ready? That's what Jesus says, doesn't he? Are you ready to meet me? Be on about my business now. Put your trust in me because I'm the only one who can take you through that. And that's what he says now. And he says, not only that, we're going to have justice, doesn't he? Ultimate justice will come when Jesus returns. Verse 7, By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. It's the day of justice is what he's talking about. When Jesus returns, he brings judgment and he brings justice. And he'll bring it to everyone. That clip at the very beginning was supposed to rock us. It was supposed to bring us out of our comfortableness of living in Evan's head. In a very comfortable church, though may be cold, uh, it's not that bad. But the world is not like that. The world is ugly. And I don't know about you, but I often sit back and cry for justice. I want justice to happen. And even in our country, the, the child sex that we've got at the moment, we see that, you know, we've got a commission, a royal commission into child sexual abuse. And who are the ones that are on trial? It's people who have said that they love Jesus. It's disgusting, isn't it? It just rips your heart out. They're trampling on poor, innocent victims' lives. As they've abused and destroyed people. And they're trampling on the glory of God. We cry for justice, don't we? We look at Iraq at the moment. Here we are as Christians. We can walk in the door here as safe as houses. You know, the, the, the roof is reinforced. You're okay. But our brothers and sisters in Iraq at the moment are running to the hills for safety. We cry for justice. This guy's a guy by the name of Francis Chan and he was at a conference I was at just a couple of weeks ago at Oxygen and um, 
I'm not, it's not actually about Francis I want to talk about, but it's about what, who Francis. Francis goes to India and meets up with a pastor there, and the pastor uh, is involved in a, an extremely flourishing church. They are planting planting 17 churches a week. 17 churches a week they are planting in India at the moment uh, with this one guy. They've got 3 million believers that have come out of the movement that is happening with this guy. And one of the things that they do, and one of these things that Francis and his family went over to do, is, I don't know about you whether you know this, but slavery is not dead. There are more people in slavery now than there ever was in the history of humankind, and they are kids, and they are, most of them are girls, and they are in the sex slave trade. And they went to a particular town, and in this town it's it's renowned in the whole area uh, where you can come, and there are rows upon rows of just tents and young girls standing outside them, and men just go down each night and for a dollar they can have sex with one and then they move out and they go to the next one and they go to the next one and they go to the next one. And these girls are just stuck in this poverty. They're stuck in this situation and people and men especially are abusing them. Uh, Francis and uh, this guy that he was with, the pastor over there, uh, went round and visited every one of them and gave them a pamphlet and invited them to a meeting and that meeting was uh, that night and they got over 700 of those young girls to come to that meeting. And at that meeting uh, they told them about Jesus but they also gave them uh, skills and ability and opportunity to get out of that. It breaks your heart. We cry for justice, don't we? We want justice to be done. We want the evil to be wiped out and removed. And that's what this passage is saying is going to happen on Jesus' return. That evil is going to be wiped out. If you read through, he uses the term fire and purifier in verse 7 and in verse 10 and if you read verse 12 again, because what the picture is, is like a gold in a sense it's been taken into the furnace with all its impurities around it. It's been heated with fire and purified so that at the end the what comes out is pure, perfect gold. No impurities. The fire has refined it, destroyed everything that is wrong with it, taken out everything that is wrong with it, and all we have is that perfect gold that is in it. And that is the picture of what is going to happen when Jesus returns. Everything that is imperfect and ungodly, as our Patty said, will be destroyed with fire, will be laid bare, will be removed. And there's only one safe place in all of that. Uh, as I was uh, thinking about this talk and as I was uh, looking into it, I found out that in... I'm not sure whether this happens here, Ralph. You might know about this, whether we've got him in Australia or not. But in America, they've got uh, their fires who go out into the bush and fight fires out there have got these uh, fireproof little tents and what happens if they get themselves stuck and a fire's about to engulf them, they can climb into these fireproof tents, zip them up and just huddle down and the fire will pass over and they'll be okay inside and then, God willing, they'll come out the other side and they'll be, they'll be safe. It's like a fireproof little tent that holds them there. And the only fireproof tent that we have is Jesus. 
Jesus is the one that we can climb into, that we can rock cleft to me, hide in thee. That's that picture of climbing in and knowing Jesus because in Jesus' arms, wrapped in him, we are safe from that purifying fire because he is the godly one. He's the only godly one. When it says it's going to destroy the ungodly, guess who that is, guys? It's us. In and of and by ourselves, we are just as bad. We, we are ungodly. We are not perfect. You know, all this stuff, we think about all these people over here and what they do and what they do. And it's really easy to cast stones out there, isn't it? But then look at yourselves. None of us are perfect. None of us. Now, I might say, well, I'm a little bit better than the guy down the road. But I'm sure you're not as good as the person up there either. But they're not as good as Jesus. None of us are. And so this fire that's going to sweep through, this fire that's going to purify, this fire that's going to lay bare the world, will lay bare us unless we're in Jesus. Because at the cross, Jesus takes God's wrath that's coming upon himself, the punishment for our sin and disobedience against him, all our ungodliness is laid on him. And when we trust in him and put our trust in him, then we are safe. And we will be at the end of the righteous, in righteous, in that eternal, perfect world that Jesus is going to bring about. We want justice, don't we? We do, we desire it. But we've got to remember if we want justice for the world, then we want justice for us as well. And justice for us, in the end, unless we're in Jesus, is condemnation. Because in and of ourselves, we're not perfect. We cannot be with that perfect God being imperfect. The only way that we can be perfect with him is when Jesus stands with us and takes everything that we've done wrong in himself. And then we stand with him. And then he says we got the promise of eternity, a perfect eternity with him forever. That's the hope that this passage gives. This is the confidence that we can have. He's going to do this. Uh, verse 13, you don't have that, but you want to jump forward a little bit uh, uh, in your Bibles. You'll see it says, But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, where perfection dwells. A new heaven and a new earth. This one will be laid bare and this one will be transformed and completely renewed. We'll have this place perfected. All the impurities wiped out and destroyed. No longer there. Just perfection. Perfection with God. Perfection with each other in a perfect world. You might say Evan said it's almost perfect, but it's not, guys. I think we use perfect far too often. And I think we've diminished the term, don't we? We say, oh, it's a perfect day. Well, that depends whether you're a farmer or whether you're by the seaside, doesn't it? Oh, they're a perfect partner. No, they're not. Get married for 25 years and you know they're not. Oh, well, you don't be long that way, do you? You don't be married for a couple of weeks and you work out they're not perfect. No one's perfect, are they? It's not a perfect relationship. It's not there. It's not a perfect holiday. It's not, it's not a perfect game of golf. Sorry for all those who are trying to perfect their golf game. You're not going to get there. There's not a perfect bowls game. Sorry. You can't do it. All right? It doesn't happen. We use that term perfect far too often, I think, and it diminishes, in a sense, to what the reality of it is. 
You see, the perfection that we have is like looking at the moon through small binoculars. We get a glimpse of it, but it's very, very fuzzy. It's not perfect. But the perfect world that God is going to bring in, that Jesus is going to bring in when he returns, is going to blow our minds. And it's hard for us to comprehend that, but Peter wants to encourage us in that. It is going to be something beyond our... We can't even fathom just how great it's going to be. But it is. It's going to be perfect in every way. It won't be any diminishing in it at all. It'll be everything that we desire it to be and more. In the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of each other, with everything that is wrong with this world removed, no sex slave trade, no child sexual abuse, no cancer, no disease, no leprosy, no cerebral palsy, no breakdowns in relationships, no domestic violence, no sense of all those things that really gripe us now. It will be completely taken away. How good is that? That's what we want, isn't it? It's funny though. I'm not sure whether we really do want it. Do we? Just the other day, Karina and I were sitting out the front of our house where we have morning tea because it's sunny and it's warm and we're sitting down and we just started a conversation and uh, Karina was saying that uh, she doesn't want to die until she's seen her kids married and then maybe they have kids and then the grandkids and, and, and I want to be close to my family and I want to be close to my kids and I was just looking out for a little while and says, oh yeah, and you, yeah, yeah, I want to be around, yeah, I'd like to be around for you as well. <laughs> I think they're good desires, they're not bad desires. And some of you would have felt them and have experienced them and had them already. But then we thought, maybe that's just because we're sitting here with a cup of coffee, with a biscuit, beautiful sunshine, lovely surroundings. Everything seems just too good, doesn't it? Would I be saying that if I was in Iraq at the moment? Bombs coming around me, people chasing me up the hill. Or if I was in the slums of India, watching the sex trade, seeing what's going on there, would I be doing that? Are we duped by being too comfortable? Are we duped to actually thinking that this is as good as it gets and we like it? Well, the challenge is, isn't it, from this passage is that don't miss those desires. There are some beautiful things about that, by the way. But, you know, it would be far better for us to be dead, guys. If you trust and follow in Jesus, it would be far better if you're dead. You know, people come up to you and say, oh, how's your day going? Yeah, it's a good day. So, oh, yeah, it's a good day because I'm six foot. I'm not six foot underground. Garbage! If you trust and believe in Jesus, if you know Jesus, then death is the best thing for you. Now, don't tell me, say, I want you to go and kill yourself, all right? Don't hear that. The Bible says don't do that, all right? Because God wants you here. He's got reasons for you to be here. But ultimately, in the end, as a follower of Jesus, the best day for you is when you die. You're in eternity. And it's going to blow your mind. The best day for you and I, if we, before we die, will be the day that Jesus returns. 
because we'll be in eternity with him. I think sometimes we get duped, don't we? Sometimes we're sold. I think was it Ravi Zacharias says we've sold the mud pie and we've got the amazing dessert tray over here. And we settle for the mud pie when we've got the dessert tray waiting for us. I'm the same boat as you. I tend to love to be here. I love the relationships that I have here. But then I have that sense, don't you, that juxtaposition of that beautiful world where we feel that it is, but it's just not as good as it should be. But it will be. When Jesus returns, because it's certain that he will, Jesus is going to return. Jesus is going to bring about the ultimate justice. And Jesus is going to bring the perfect eternity forever. He's not slow. He's gracious and he's merciful. And he's our saviour that we can hide in. That when the judgment comes, we are safe in him. And a perfect eternity awaits us in Jesus. Guys, that is worth living for. And next week we're going to see that Peter says, that's why you should live. And then this is how you should live because of that. That's what we're going to look forward to next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I think sometimes we've been duped by this world. Uh, we want to thank you and praise you for it. It is beautifully and amazingly made. And in some ways, Lord, uh, Satan, I'm sure, wants to get in and tell us, well, this is, this is it, hold on to it. You know, God really didn't say that and God's not really going to do this. But Jesus says he is. He's going to bring it. He's certain that he's going to come and return and he's going to purify this world and he's going to return it and transform it into something that's mind-blowing. Lord, may we trust that. May we know that. May we be encouraged by that, Lord. And may we live for that, Lord. May we not be duped into thinking that we need to be here, Lord, and stay here. And this is as good as it gets, Lord. It's nowhere near as good as it gets. And we want to thank you and praise you for that, Lord. Heavenly Father, we pray that this morning, Lord, after looking at your word, after thinking it through, that we will be transformed by you that we will have confidence in Jesus' return, in him bringing ultimate justice, in him bringing a perfect eternity, and in him, Lord, we can enjoy it with you for eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.